Hi, I'm Tatiana Antonelli Abella and I'm the founder and managing director at Goombook. This is Forward Talks, Conversations That Matter. This is a special series, Climate Leaders Rising Up to COP28, in partnership with MasterCards and with the support of the Dubai Government Media Office. We ask each of our guests, what are their expectations for COP28? Have a listen. Another aspect of COP28 would be to, yes, funding, but funding adaptation. Yes. And I know when we briefly spoke <laughs> before today, we you actually mentioned this, right? The importance yeah. of funding adaptation, because we talk a lot about mitigation. And maybe this is an opportunity to actually define what mitigation adaptations are. Maybe you can help me with this as well and, and also explain the importance of adaptation for this COP. Great. So um, this is one of my favorite thought areas because we've focused so much over the last couple of decades, um, even though the public's only just dial in, dialing in, there are many of us who've been working on this for the last 20 years. Okay. And it's a little frustrating enterprise to think about the, the slowest pace of this energy transition that we've had so far, but, but it is accelerating. Mitigation is, is basically taking the energy mix today and mitigating the impacts of, um, CO2 emissions, like basically saying we're going to curtail that. So mitigating the energy system today so that it produces less CO2. Okay. And so most immediately, I think one of the big mitigative measures you're going to hear at COP is going to be um, zero methane emissions. Okay. Yeah. By 2030. That'll be exciting. So the um, um, now adaptation is what are we doing in the meantime? Okay. Because the climate science, uh, there's there's climate scientists are always going to debate about various aspects of that, but over the last few years, there's been more attention drawn to the fact that the the ability of the world to adjust at smaller basinal scales in the climate system is a shorter time frame than we thought. Okay, which is I think a good news story. So if we do mitigate, we should see more positive impacts faster. Okay at least in certain parts of the world. But in the meantime, knowing that we're probably not going to get to that as fast as we'd like, adaptation allows us to live in a hotter world. And here, I think that's like profound. We're good okay. at that. Where we have experience. Yes, it's very hot here, okay? <laughs> yeah. And so um, imagine it getting hotter, okay? The other aspect of it is that, you know, we're seeing extreme weather across um, almost every part of the world right now. And we people kind of forget we're in an El Nino event where that can happen. But if this is the new normal, we'll see. Um, we've got to do a lot of work on adapting because we've got a lot of people that sit on coastlines that are going to have to come inward as sea level rises. And so the adaptation part is where we've also got to be thinking, yeah, we got to spend money on mitigation, but we've got to put money aside so that it isn't about the response it's about proactive adaptation, okay? There are going to be people who are listening saying, Allison, but how is that possible? Because you're adapting, and that is something that happens after an event happens, right? But you can anticipate that sea level is going to rise. And so maybe that means in an area they've never had a levee system. Maybe we should put a levee system, right? Adaptations tends to be unsexy, and it always comes in the way of um, too little, too late, giving money to fix a problem later. Yeah. This is where we need to focus today as well. There's got to be a dual track. we got to do them at the exact same time. And we need to put a lot of more money in adaptation. 
Because uh, right now we're putting a lot of money in rescue, in emergency. Yes. So instead of doing that after and unfortunately seeing a lot of losses, adaptation is the same money. It just needs to be put earlier. Earlier. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, like, uh, I, at one point in my life, I was living in the Gulf Coast region of, of the United States uh, during one of the, mo- the, one of the single greatest um, natural disasters that happened, which was Hurricane Katrina, at least for the U.S. And seeing how unprepared we were as a society for that, I mean, it was, it was appalling, okay? And the net outcome was so much damage and destruction, but also the, the sort of intensity of poverty in the region went up. And so long-term, it isn't just that people lost their uh, home, which is awful, but they lost their livelihood. And some people moved out of the region smartly and never came back, okay? And, and I think that was actually a good adaptation measure on their part. But imagine being upended from your home and becoming a real-life climate refugee. We had climate refugees during Katrina, and people forget that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not about uh, only poor countries. Climate refugees are happening all over the world. All over the world, which is why I bring up that example, yeah. right? Because I think typically people think about, like, look at the island nations. If you were watching COP last year, I thought that was the most powerful part was sitting down and listening to the delegates talk about their perspective. They didn't contribute to the problem, but they're the ones who have to adapt the fastest. Yeah. And the loss and damage fund still not whole. Well, now, this is leading to my next question. (laughs) (laughs) What are your hopes for this COP? Well, so this COP is fascinating from a social, um, if you look at it, uh, from where we're at, everything that we've talked about today and the pressures on the fossil fuel kind of sector here, Dr. Sultan is a, is a force, and he's doing a lot of great stuff that I think a lot of um, the media likes to sort of try to put on the hat, but he represents the oil and gas. But, like, the way they've handled themselves to make sure everything is ethical and firewalled has been outstanding. Yeah. Okay, and I hope – so my first hope is that, that people do not discount the outcome and that they give credit where it's due because they're doing some great work, okay? The second part of this is it's my hope that people come to the region here and see that uh, there's so much that's being done here today, which is outstanding, and it's going to be a solar powerhouse. That's also outstanding. If they go to the expo, they're going to see it firsthand. The third thing is we're going to see probably a watering down for certain countries uh, in their pledges, their, their NDCs. It, it's my hope that the, the pressure of that, they can think more um, smartly about how they can manage an energy transition. L- let me call it something else, a carbon transition. Yeah. Okay. Let, it, let the focus, even if it's subtle, shift over away from the rhetoric and the blame placing, but instead look at the solution space. Fourth outcome is going to be making sure that people come and see that there are actually solutions available today, okay? That's going to be different. That's going to be the first time that's happened at a COP. So we're on COP28, 
oof, it took 28 years to get there, but it's going to be here and it's going to be very present. So I hope that with the open access that people have for the green zone and having all the technology and the demonstrations, um, while people can't bring really big energy systems, you know, to the, <laughs> I, like we kind of talked about that. That was very difficult to make that happen in the time frame. But you'll at least see uh, videos and, and pilots and demonstrations of technology that's available today. And that's going to scale up over the next decade and have the cost come down. That is powerful and it's exciting. And it's the first time we're going to actually see the solutions at the event. So, so this is the year of the global stock take. Yeah. It's critical that even though the scorecard is going to be sad, okay, it looks like, <laughs> sorry if you're listening and that, like you didn't realize it was going to be sad, it's going to be sad. However, the optimism is there and there is this fantastic opportunity this year to see people's light bulbs turn on as they realize that there is technology solution and it's driven by the corporate activities that people tend to like to to put over in like a let's judge it zone <laughs> if you know what I'm saying like calling them bad guys that's where the solutions are going to happen and so if we can see delegates come over and check out technology that's a huge huge win wow you got me so excited <laughs> I'm excited for to come. <laughs> me too although you know let's you know we got a little more planning to do here but I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be really exciting, um, and I can hardly wait. Well, I think in the UAE, in the region, we're all very excited because we know we know that, especially when the UAE says, or they put, you know, their their efforts in something. It uh, it's amazing. Like Expo has been amazing, and and uh, what is uh, happening in this country at such a fast pace is is very inspiring.